In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who has come in order to bring us closeness with the Father. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't need to tell you that much about social distancing, which was originally going to be like this this big illustrative part of the sermon that we were going to talk about what it means to socially distance yourself from people. But now you see everybody on TV, everybody on the internet telling you about what social distancing means and how you should do it. And there are even different levels of people who who have different ideas about what kind of social distancing you should be doing. Some people say, don't go to a restaurant. Other people say, going to a restaurant is fine. Some people say, don't get together with family. Other people say, as long as it's just family, you're okay. But there is definitely a ban on gatherings of uh, great sort. There's all sorts of sports that have decided that they are going to stop, at least for a little while. Even spring training down in Florida and in Arizona has been canceled and opening day for Major League Baseball has been postponed, which may be one of the most tragic things about this whole coronavirus. But there is a fear and an anxiety that's out there right now. There's a fear and an anxiety that you don't have to go very far in order to see. You can see it when you walk into Publix or Walmart or even Staples where Conrad told me that yesterday he got the very last rolls of toilet paper from Staples and I didn't even know that they had toilet paper there. But you can see the anxiety in the empty shelves that are all around us. You can see the anxiety even in this room as many of the people whom we call brothers and sisters in Christ have decided that they they don't want to be here, either because they're afraid for themselves or they're anxious that they might have something that they might spread to someone else. And so we live in a world that anyway is filled with anxiety. And now that anxiety has reached a point where we have said, what we need to do is stay in our houses, watch a lot of Netflix, post more memes than what we have ever done before, and do church on the internet. That level of anxiety is something that I think helps us to understand what's happening in this gospel reading. This gospel reading that involves, at the first, Jesus sitting down by a well in a place called Samaria. Now, to us, we kind of know a little bit about Samaria because it shows up in the Gospels every now and again. We know a little bit that the Samaritans are are not friends with the Jews. and In fact, the woman at the well even says that much. She's shocked that Jesus as a Jew is asking her for a cup of water because normally a Jewish man would never 
do that. Because there was a separation. But a lot of us don't understand what that separation is because. And so when it comes to a story like the Good Samaritan, where the Samaritan comes by and he helps out a Jewish man, we don't understand how big of a deal that was because we don't understand the social anxiety and the social distancing that was required of people in that day. You see, what... what the case was with Samaria was that there was this thing in Israel's history called the exile. And what happened was you had a northern and a southern kingdom that were at sort of a, they had sort of a civil war with one another, but really it was more of a civil cold war. That they, they separated and they decided that they were going to be separate from one another. And you had ten tribes that were up in the northern kingdom, and then you had basically two or three tribes, if you include Levites, that were down in the southern kingdom. And they were separated from one another. And because they were separated from one another, the nation of Assyria, superpower, was able to swing down and to defeat them and to take their people away into exile into Assyria from where they would never be seen again. They would intermarry, they would die, they would all sorts of things. But basically, the entire race of those ten tribes was obliterated. Except, except for the people that were left in Samaria. The people that were not taken away into exile. And those would have been the people that were either old or feeble or feeble-minded. They were not the A-listers in society. And so because of that, they, they began to intermarry with the other people that the Assyrians brought in because they brought in people who were exiles from other places. And they began to sort of have a confusion about what their religion was. And they had this sense where they they knew that Yahweh was the God, but they also didn't quite understand how that came together. They were in a lot of ways kind of a Creole people. They were a people that were intermixed and their religion began to look a little bit different. It's sort of like if you've ever been to New Orleans and you walk through the city of New Orleans and you happen upon a voodoo shop and you walk in and you walk in and at the first moment that you walk in to a voodoo shop like Marie Lambeau's on Bourbon, for the first little fraction of a moment, you see things in there that look like Christianity. You see crucifixes. You see those Roman Catholic little candles. You see all of this stuff that on the outset looks like it's Christian, but you don't have to look very far before you go, that at least isn't Lutheran. And you, you, you start going, hey, this isn't actually Christian at all. This is way different. 
Well, that's kind of what the Samaritan religion was like when a Jew was looking at it. You see, the Samaritans had said that the Psalms and the prophets, that those weren't actually scripture, that the only thing that was scripture were the first five books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And because of that, they had a very sort of narrow perception of what it meant for them to be the people of God because they understood those books as talking about their race, not about the race of the tribes that were in Jerusalem and Judea at the time. But they were saying that we are the people whom those five books are talking about. And so you had this conflict between Jews and Samaritans about who are the people of God, who are the ones who are actually saved. And because they couldn't agree on that, they began to distance themselves socially and in other ways. So this Samaritan woman, this woman who comes up and she she has the wrong religion, comes out to the well and this Jewish man who has the right religion. At least she knows that he thinks that he has the right religion. Says to her, give me a drink of water. And so she responds to him, how how is it that, that you, a Jew, are asking me for a drink of water? And Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask for basically a lot more than just water. To which she kind of scoffs, and he says that he has living water, which at the time would have meant that he has a, a bubbling spring, that he has a river, that he, that would be living water. And she goes, she looks around and she's like, yeah, you have living water? You don't have a bucket, buddy. And you start to see this woman responding to this man in ways that are not culturally acceptable during its day. She's responding to him in ways that seem nasty and sarcastic. You start to see her respond to him in ways that kind of tell you a little bit about who she is. Because it appears that the woman at the well, this this woman has not only been distanced from people in Jerusalem and Judea, but she has also been distanced from the people that are in her own town. And it's possibly and probably because of the thing that Jesus points out about her lifestyle. When he says... Call your husband and let's all three of us have a drink together. And she says, well, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus points out, that's right. You've had five. And the one that you're with now isn't your husband. And whether you're Jew or Samaritan in this time period, those would have been the marks of someone who would have been ostracized from society, someone whom society would have distanced themselves from, somebody who would have been at arm's length, and someone who would have felt anxiety around people because she was afraid that they, she was going to be judged. 
She was afraid that people were going to get into her business. She was afraid that people were going to ask her questions or even worse, say nasty things. And so, when that gets pointed out, you kind of learn a little bit about who this woman is, that she has been distanced from her people. She has been distanced from the people that are in the town that she will go to in just a little bit. And yet she's found this one person, this one crazy Jew, this one crazy guy who has said, give me a drink of water and just won't leave her alone. This is the person who, with all of your social distancing, all of your purelling, all of your everything, this is the person who is coming up to you and getting in your face and giving you a hug and shaking your hand and giving you the kiss of peace. Jesus is up in this lady's business. He is not distancing himself. He is not distancing himself in a way that is appropriate for his culture or in a way that's appropriate for anything else. And that's intriguing to her, it seems. Because after Jesus points out that he knows what's going on with her, She runs back to the town. And what she says is so interesting and strange. She says, you have to see this guy. He told me everything that I ever did. Now why is that so interesting to me? Well, it's because I know sinners because I am one myself, and because I work with you all. And I know sinners, and the thing that sinners do, especially with their sins, is that they hide their sins. You know, if we're feeling especially humble one day, we occasionally might hide our righteousness. We might hide our good works just out of some sort of sense of piety. But our sins, our sins, we will hide those. Except for maybe a few that we'll just be flagrant about. But generally speaking, we will hide our sins. And so when this lady goes to her people and she says, you've got to check this out. He's told me everything that I did. She's telling them, there's stuff that you all judge me for, but there's a whole lot more that you don't know about. (laughs) And this guy told me those things. Jesus knows those things about you. He knows those things about you that If people found out how you sin, they would get out the Purell after shaking your hand. They would strap on a mask while they're talking to you. Those sins that you have, that you know, that you hide. Jesus knows even those. And still, he comes into your life. And he says, I have living water. Even for you.
I have a river of life that is coursing through my veins. Even for you. I have living water that one day on a cross will pour out of my side as a centurion stabs my pericardial sac and it comes rushing out. Jesus has living water for you. He has body and blood for you. And he will not. He refuses. Even in the midst of the sins that you try to hide from everyone else. He refuses to distance himself from you. May we take that to heart. And where applicable, may we also refuse to distance ourselves from the people around us who are filled with anxiety and loneliness and need to hear about a God who is with them. Amen.